Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me for part one of my chat with Greg Goodman, Managing Director at Land Team. So grab your drink, sit back, relax while we chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. My guest today is Greg Goodman, better known as Greg, Ace, Goody, Benny, GA, GG, and the Red Hat Rambler, depending on who you talk to. Born in the country, Greg hails from the southwest slopes of New South Wales in a town called Young, but grew up in the Illawarra, south of Sydney. Still connected to the land, he spent a lot of his time visiting his family out west. This is where his love of surveying began, and in 1972, he attended the University of New South Wales to study. He has worked in many fields of surveying and is now part owner and managing director for Land Team and Simply Water and Sewer. He has won many awards, such as the Harvey Prize for Bozzy Town Planning, various ESI awards and others that we don't need to know about. Surveying is his passion in which he has devoted his life to. Greg is very active in the surveying profession and has had numerous positions within the Institution of Surveyors while also being involved with SSSI and just recently was interviewed and published in the latest ACS magazine, The Surveyor. Greg has a love for the outdoors, keeping fit, the NRL, travelling across our great nation and spending time with his family. This is going to be an interesting listen for sure. Welcome, Greg, and thanks for joining me today. Hey, Peter, thanks for the invitation. We've sort of been dancing around each other a little bit over the last few months getting here, but um, a good day to be indoors today with all the wind and what have you outside. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I think you're doing a great job. I listened to a number of your podcasts and all um, all very interesting with the preview. Oh, thanks you've had on. thanks mm. for that. Okay, so about you, you were born out at Young? Yep, born, born out at Young um, in 1953, 9th of April, 1953. Mm-hmm. Um, so that puts me well into my 60s. Um, yeah, it was different days out there, in, you know, growing up as a child uh, on the land uh, in, in the town of Young. Um, yeah, but I had a great, great upbringing. It was, you know, I'll, I'll probably say during this talk, Peter, a number of times I've been very fortunate. Well, I have been. I, I really have had a fortunate life and uh, you know, probably the, the first part of fortune, you know, was having good parents and good grandfathers, good grandparents, good uncles, um, and being able to spend a fair bit of time on the land as a, as a child. 
doing all those things that you get to do. And back in, you know, back in those days, I guess, um, you know, work health safety was a lot different. And, you know, as a kid, you could just take off on the farm or motorbikes or horses or hunting or whatever. It was yeah, a great way to be, great way to spend the young years. Yeah, yeah. The country life is uh, definitely very different to city growing up, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. truly, mm. truly was. So um, very fortunate those ways. And, you know, I've, you know, I've sort of instilled that into my kids. I've got three girls. Yep. Uh, Lauren, Sarah and Stella, um, wife that's very happy to be in the country and we spend quite a bit of time out. We've camped our life away and, and you know, they've, they've now picked up on the country and the camping and get out there as much as they can as well. And now the grandkids are starting to, to see it all. There really, really is a lot to be said about regional areas, I believe. Mm. You know, just um, getting out of the cities and getting out there and having a look, particularly now I was talking to Tom Casey um, yesterday from Parks, um, you know, I was going to, he, he found a tree down there, a, a blazed tree down on the road between Gerildery and, Gerildery and Finley recently and posted it. It was probably the best blazed tree you'd ever see. So wow. I asked him, to, asked him to send me the coordinates of it. And this the next week I was going to be taking a few days off to go down and actually do a red hat ramble beside the tree. Oh, um, that's cool. Giving giving Tom the credits, of course, for finding it. <laughs> right. I think it was about you know early about early nineteen hundreds, and it's in great condition. But he was saying, you know, we were talking about uh, I was coming back from the big red bash a couple of years ago down the Bogan Way, Tottenham, Tullamore, Trundle, all those places, and it was desert out there. You know, really rich land, but it was absolute desert. And you're saying at the moment, you know, if you go out there, you waste time. Waste time with green grass and the, the distinct, distinct, the, I guess the distinguishing part of it at the moment is there's no stock. Every you know a lot of people de-stock, a lot of the farmers de-stock, and there's this massive feed out there that's, um, you know, just being cut for hay in lots of places, I guess. But um, mm. yeah, it's 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 uh, that's country, that's the life. Yeah, you have your ups mm. and downs out there, don't you? Just sort of two. Yeah, working with uh, with the elements, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So when did you move over to the Illawarra? Uh, so well, I came down by the grandparents. Um, we, we used to come down on holidays to Lake Illawarra. Yeah. Um, back in the 60s as kids, uh, my grandparents off the farm had a, a, you know, a holiday house down here at Lake Illawarra. Uh, so we'd come down and spend some time down here. I mean, in those days, getting from young to down here was a seven- six or seven hour drive compared to the three and a half now. Um, but so we we moved from uh, Young to um, Lura in the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a few years up there. My dad um, uh, had been in the Navy and what have you, and I guess he was restless, always a restless bloke, um, but worked on a lot of jobs. He, he was a travelling salesman. He, he sold um, clothes in haberdashery shops and things like that. He was a he taught himself sign writing and ticket writing, all sorts of things like that. So an opportunity, I believe, came up at Lura to take over a clothes shop there, and we moved to to Lura for a, a few years. Mm. Um, you know, I still remember it as as a kid um, there at Lura. I ran away with our doll, hid under a tree, and the whole town was out searching for me. So oh, I no. flogging for that at a few <laughs> years old and. 
Um, also, the locusts, we'd, we'd go and collect locusts in the summer and put them in the, in the, into boxes and shake them up and make them, make them uh, croak the way they do. And, you know, there'd be hundreds in these boxes. And one night, my brother and I got in and let them out in the house. So we had locusts throughout the, out the house going <laughs> off all night. So, yeah, that was a... It was good. Yeah, it was good times, and I think when was it? it? Would have been maybe 1958. So 58, 6, 53, 58. But yeah, just kindergarten. I was at Lura Kindergarten at public school, and the 58 fires happened, mm-hmm. um, which were massive fires. And you know, I still have an image of we're on the main street of Lura, on the western side, and out the back we're in the, on, living on the second story above the 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 clothes shop. Yeah. Menswear shop, menswear shop. Um, and looking to the west, we had a good view, looking to the west towards Katoomba. And, you know, Dad had been gone. He was always into everything. And he'd been gone for four or five days, volunteer firefighting. You know, no RFS stuff. They, the blokes in those days, when things got serious, just stopped work and went out and did whatever they had to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, much the same as today, I guess, as well. But I remember uh, he'd been gone for a few days and... Uh, Mum was panicking. Um, we had uh, four kids at that stage, myself, my brother and two sisters, Diane and, and Julie. And uh, we were looking out the back window and we could see the fire in Katoomba in a matter of minutes it seemed to be down, down the valley and coming up the valley towards wow. the main street. So there was chaos outside. Uh, everybody was getting evacuated. Mum and myself and my two sisters got chucked in a car and somehow we ended up at Bathurst. Um, and my brother got picked up in another car and ended up down in Penrith. So oh, you can imagine how friendly mum was then. You know, every, everything got sorted out, but mm. she wouldn't go back there. So so the option was there, I guess, uh, to come down and stay in the holiday house at um, at the lake, at Lake Illawarra. Mm-hmm. And hence, you know, here we were yeah. on the south coast and that's where it's all happened, I guess. Mm. Mm. And it's yeah, beautiful strange, down there. Strange how things happen. Yeah, it's always funny how you sort of everybody has that story of how what you know something's happened for them to end up where they are. Yeah. Today and some yeah fires yeah we sort of had fires down our way a while ago that you know sort of came up to the back of the house we were just lucky that it didn't cross the road and yeah take the house. Yeah, now, that's right. So if I was Paul Rollinson. I'd be probably that would be an opening to to start to interview in his reverse interview style <laughs> <laughs> and say, "Oh, where was that, Peter? Where did you live?" And, <laughs> but I, I won't I won't get into all that. <laughs> yeah, he was very good at that, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was, he's a good fellow, Paulie. I've got a lot of admiration for Paul and what he's done for the profession, especially mm. for ACS and that business up there. He's a you know he's a a, a, you know, a great, great person, and um, you know, him and Michelle just through their political contacts and what they've been able to achieve over the last few years since he was president. And mm. you know, like like he said, and she she'll still bring him, and he'll get involved. So yeah, a lot of time for Paul Rollinson. Mm. Yeah, mm. there's some there's some good uh, some good good guys and girls out there. I yeah. should say, yeah, Pe- people. <laughs> Yeah, good Politic- people out there. <laughs> Politically correct these days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true, uh-huh. true. Okay, so you moved to Illawarra. You were still going back um, to see family and everything, and that's how you ended up finding out about Savane, correct? Yeah, 
Yeah, so um, even though we were down here, you know, I went to high school and stuff down here, um, you know, I got into surfing and all the things that go with coastal life. But mm-hmm. um, all the know, good things. Just all the good things, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, true. But, um, but you know, just that, that love of country at that young age and, um, you know, I had really good grandparents and, you know, really good uncles. And they all worked on the farm. So, you know, every school holiday virtually we'd, we'd dad would take us up and drop us off and, you know, we'd spend time up there. So as it, as it went on, you know, coming through high school, I still pursued those opportunities and, and uh, you know, I would go up there and help with the harvest or the shearing or for as long, for as, long as I could, actually, because yeah. I guess my dream, my dream was to, you know, be a farmer. Uh, I love that lifestyle. I love the hard work and just being out there and the quietness of it all. And, um, you know, you may have seen in a couple of my LinkedIn posts where, you know, I just I tune into a video of being in the country and hearing nothing except, you know, nothing really, mm. the birds or whatever. And, it's, you know, so I love that, love that. And, uh, you know, I've got really special memories of, um, of those times and, uh, and just how it's led me to a life of loving the country, really. Yeah, and and just the land, and you know, and I, I can you know I, I can really relate to you know our indigenous brothers and sisters uh, when they talk about country. It's mm-hmm. it, you know it's it's just what it is. It's 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 there and it's us really. So it's the soul. Yeah, it really is the soul. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. so um yeah, still spent a lot of time out there, and we were going over to I'm from. The, the farm was, uh, was about 3,000 acres of land between uh, Young and Grenfell out to Dungra Way off Quamby Lane. Beautiful land, brown soils, fertile, you know, you just spit in it and something could grow. Uh, sheep, <laughs> wheat, mixed farming, and uh, I was heading over to, it was, it was pretty late in the piece, actually. It was, it was um, about mid-year of year 12, and I really hadn't decided okay. what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were heading over to Trumbull, actually, um, on that Bogan Way to pick up some rams and happened to go through Forbes and that area and there was a heap of dumpy levels out in the paddock and sort of, you know, people with staffs and what have you and I asked him what that was and he said, oh, they're surveyors, they're setting out irrigation channels and stuff like that. So so I had that in the back of my head, but, that's, at, you know, I was still going to, still thinking of the, of the farming really, but um, things happened there that... Um, it didn't eventuate, so um, it would have been late. It was year twelve, late year twelve after the exams, waiting for waiting for marks. Um, it was well, you haven't got, you haven't decided to do anything yet. Where are you going? Um, and then I, you know, I started thinking about it. <laughs> I guess in December or November or December, um, and I said, "Look, well, why don't we give a, why don't we give surveying a go?" And um, my dad, being who he was, a gregarious, very gregarious fellow, confident, um, you know, travelling salesman, could sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, look, we'll go up to we'll go up to a UNSW Open Day. You know, in the early parts of the year, they have the Open Days where you can go where those who have already got a spot can go up and catch up on how it's all going to operate. So we went up to Kensington on Anzac Parade there and went in and. I, you know, I'd said to Dad, look, we've probably got no chance. You're supposed to enrol in this stuff sometime months before. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, we went in and that, as I said, that was in the Navy. And we went in and we, Henry Werner, uh, a German, uh, came out here and worked on the Snowy Mountain Scheme number one, uh, along with a lot of our lecturers. Jack Fresic was a South African and some others. Henry Werner was sitting at the table and uh, we came up to the table and my dad said, you know, Ross Goodman's my son Greg, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, want, we want to get him into uni. And sort of Henry looked and said, well, today's for those who are coming to uni. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm going to find out about that. Anyway, they got talking and, uh, you know, Henry was in the, the German infantry or something like that from memory, but he was in the, he, he fought with the Germans. Dad was a Navy bloke, they hit it off. And somehow a couple of days later, Henry had got me into surveying. And, and also a friend of mine, John, you know, John Hart, the, the, that I grew up with at school. Okay. So we were in there and that year, I guess, uh, uh, you know, it's a bit bleary, but there was probably 120 surveyors into the University of New South Wales course that year. Wow, that's and, a lot. Um, yeah, a lot. So, and, yeah, I was at high school, you know, I wanted to be a farmer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in those years, you know, the 60s, there's a lot going on. And, um, you know, my, I don't know, my first, second, third, fourth, fourth years were up and down, a lot of surfing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of getting down the, you know, down the coast and those sorts of things. I really wasn't applying myself and, you know, did all the, all the things that kids did in that day, smoking out the back of the classrooms or in the toilets or down <laughs> over the trees at morning tea and, you know, doing all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I remember the days when, uh, you know, in those days, um, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and others, the fights would be on, the World Heavyweight Championships would be the big deal. So I... We'd, um, you know, once we got 17 and get a car, um, you know, we'd get, get home and watch the fights on TV and what have you. And just a couple of, I, I think a couple of couple of high school teachers, and I still see one, uh, a bloke called John Guy, uh, see him semi-regularly. He's in late, late 70s now. He swims down the, you know, the Continental Bars in Wollongong. Him and a couple of others, um, um, uh, Mr. Henderson, uh, was a science teacher and an English teacher got me in one day and gave me a real dressing down about um, you know my attitude and uh, where I was going and who I was trying to be and um, you know I really listened to them yeah uh, they made a big impact and and they said if you if you dedicate the next 12 months to trying to get you know, yourself into a situation where you're going to get a reasonable pass in year 12, which you're capable of, we'll give you special attention. And they did. I accepted. And uh, and they did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I've, I've really got those blokes to, to, to those teachers to thank for, um, you know, perhaps directly getting me to uh, where I am today. Yeah. Uh, you know, along with my, along with my dad and mum. Yeah. Yep. Having that yeah, support so, behind you. Yeah, so that you know, teachers. You know, um, young. My daughter Sarah is a teacher, um, and you know they have a lot to offer. Teachers, they really do. And if you if you if you give them something back, most of them, uh, if not all of them, will give you something special. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that that was great. So I had you know part of part of the reason part of the reason for uh, being able to go and see Henry Werner was that I had decent marks. 
yeah. you know, um, I had the marks, whatever it was and how it worked and to be able to get accepted, I was just late. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so once, once, um, once accepted, it was, okay, well, how the hell are we going to pay for this? Because it was, it was 72. Um, uh, university fees were still paid then, uh, quite expensive. Uh, and, you know, we, we, whilst we, you know, mum and dad had set up a family with the four kids that was comfortable, we, we certainly weren't well off. Mm. So as soon as I knew that, it was, as soon as I got accepted, I was back to young again, uh, get, get on the after harvest, do whatever I could. Um, you know, my dad said, okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do something here. So he was doing his traveling salesman job. He was teaching ticket writing at TAFE and he was doing sign writing for that first year. So Mm. we had, um, you know, it was going to be tough. And so every, every break, you know, I'd go back up to the farm or out picking cherries or do whatever else. And he was going, at that stage, I started being down here with BHP. It was probably uh, another bit of a story there. Uh, we started looking for whatever we could do just to build a bit of a bank. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, in those days at university, uh, with those sorts of numbers, it was maths, maths, so it was maths, science, engineering one and surveying one. Now, if you fail the maths, if you fail the maths or the science, you're out. That was it all over. So... Um, yeah, it was a struggle. Maths wasn't my good subject. You know, in the mm-hmm. high school certificate, I, I think I was doing 2S or 2F, uh, but I had a real struggle. So the marks from there didn't really help me. It was the other stuff, the geography and those sorts of things that really, really got me the, the marks I needed. Yeah. So so um, it was going to be a struggle with the maths, the maths because, I mean, uh, again, I'll keep saying those days, um, you know, it, it mass had to be done by hand largely. You know, the calculus and the integral calculus and all that sort of stuff oh, had to yeah. be done by hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had to work through the formulas and understand it. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. And we, we got at half year, uh, I think, um, you know, I had a, a conceited pass in maths which meant around, you know, 40, you got just over the 45. If you're under the 45, that was it. Um, but, but that was for the end of the year. And then coming into the end of the year, you know, I tried, I was doing a lot of work and, you know, just could, couldn't get my head around it. But suddenly towards the end of the year, something clicked on it. And the the other stuff was okay, the engineering, the physics, and the, the surveying was, yeah, no troubles. But the math, so we went into um, the end of the year stuff. We did a trial for the end of the year, and again, it was considered pass to get me through the year. But they, <laughs> they said that you, you're really going to need um, something a bit better than that to get through to get the pass. So um, the exam was a nightmare. Um, I really felt let down. I felt I let a lot of people down, you know, my mum and dad with the money mm. they put in. And I just didn't feel good about it. Um, but going outside after the exam, um, you know, and talking to my colleagues, university colleagues and what have you, they were all having a whinge about how hard it was. So, you know, it was coming up to Christmas and in those days you, you got a letter, um, you know, and it was, um, there was nervous times really because if, if no, no passing mass you're out anyway, it was wasted. 
Mm. Um, and then if you pass, you're going back next year. And just how are we going to get the dough to 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 afford next year's fees? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, I still remember the day. Actually, there they were. The the letter was in the um, the letterbox. I went down and got it. Took it up. Mum and dad and the brothers and sisters were there, and it was open. It and it was a P on maths. Um, I think it was a credit in surveying, a credit in engineering, and a P in the physics. So it was celebration time. Yeah. Uh, the North North Kong has never been North Kong Hotel has never been a better place than it was that night. It was <laughs> major celebration for all the family. It was great. So you know that back back the next year. So that meant getting getting you know, money together and. Um, we were working on that back out the, back out in the country, and oh, so you know, I was getting in those times getting surveying work was pretty hard for kids out of kids doing university and stuff. It was tight. Mm -hmm. I tried to get into um, Australian Iron Steel at Port Canberra um, a number of times, um, but you know they were not not much going. Um, so. But, there was some good labouring jobs going. So my dad had some connection through some of the mills in the in the steelworks, BHP Steelworks, and I was able to get some work in there. And you know, you, the, the mill manager would interview you, and um, you know, the university thing was put aside. Well, how come you're here, son? There's probably a lot more, lot more going on out there in the world than ending up here. And I said, oh look, I haven't really decided. You know, a few few lies here or there. Haven't been able to decide what I'm going to do. I just need to get some money, and you know, I'll work all shifts. I want to get as much overtime as I can. So you know, I started labouring, and you know, every first every second day they'd come down and say, "Well, look, you've got a lot more going for you than labouring. Do you want to move up and get an apprenticeship or something like that?" And no, no, I'm happy with the labouring. So, <laughs> you know, a couple of months of that, there was a you know a nice healthy little bank at the end of it, plus what mm. Dad was doing, and mm -hmm. and then you know, back to back to uni. Um, and for the second year, and then coming in the second year, I did get a job with um, BHP in the surveying department. So, you know, the, at the end of second year, um, from then on, you know, I had a job to come back to and uh, some reasonable income. Yeah. But the yeah. big thing, the big thing, I think in 70, when was it? Uh, 72, 73, so it would have been stars, it was Goff. Mm -hmm. Goff Whitlam. Uh, Labor Party got in. Uh, Goff made university fees free. So it just took a load off. It took a Pretty massive sure. load off our shoulders. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then, then I was able to, I guess, focus on what I was doing at the university rather than focusing on how, how I was going to keep myself at university. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it, it would have been tough. Like a, yeah, it made a big difference, yeah. Mm, definitely. Yeah, so that's the story with a bit of the education. Mm. And so you managed the, was it four years? Yeah, four years. Yeah. It was four years. Um, um, I, I graduated with second class honours. Oh. Um, you know, I really applied myself to the surveying subjects. In a lot of the surveying subjects, I loved it, um, especially astronomy. You know, mm. just, mm -hmm. I guess being a country boy and the stars and the Southern Cross and everything, <laughs> you know, getting in there and doing astronomy with Jack Friesley up on top of the civil engineering building, seven levels up during winter. With a T2 and you know um, uh, the, the stopwatch on the VNG Lindhurst with the time, it just blew me away how we could how we could observe Alpha Centauri and come up with azimuth. Mm. Uh, you know, 
So the low stars for azimuth, or you come up here into the high stars for latitude and longitude, and just the star almanac and how how all of that came into fixing a position um, that you know was quite accurate. Yeah, that blew me away, and you know I I just loved it and consumed you know the the celestial. Um, the celestial sphere and all that sort of stuff, and you know, understanding how you know it, how that all revolves around us, but and you know, assuming that revolves around us, and we're fixed, and it all comes into place. Obviously, that's not how it is, but how you know how people people in geez, I don't know, going back into the 16th or 14th or 15th centuries were able to figure out navigation, you know, along those along those lines. It it really it really blew me away. And yeah. you know, some, you know, sun ops using the sun for azimuth, uh, uh, like it's just out there stuff. So I really, really excelled at that. Mm. Came out, came out with good marks um, with the job at PHP, and then it was on to registration. So yeah, and it didn't take you. It was only a couple of years, was it? Yeah, you to, yeah, yeah so get I, registered. Yeah, so I built up, built up some um, cadastral experience while you know at uni and the second last six months of the. Of, of year year twelve, where you're doing it major subjects and stuff, um, and so so what was that 72, 72, 73, 74, 75, out, out in seventy six out of uni, mm. uh, and registered I think in September seventy seven. So you don't um, see that these days. <laughs> no, it's well, see life's different, Peter. It's uh, yeah, it really is. It really is different these days. Mm. Family life is different. Um, you know, um, lots of changes in that time. So, yeah, that was the norm. The norm, you'd sit down and work your backside off after hours on weekends and get your engineering done, your town planning done, um, your cadastral subjects going. And in those days, we used to have to prove ourselves in the field. So we'd go down to Centennial Park in, in Sydney there mm-hmm. and do a travis and a level close and all those sorts of things. And then, then you would... Get, the, get your get your projects together, lodge them, have the bibliotheses, the interviews, and um, you know that's probably the well, it wasn't the North Gong, it was the uh, the spaghetti factory um, that used to be down in the rocks. They had a you know big restaurants, yeah, because back in those days, um, fancy food hadn't really hit Australia. You know, you you get mm. your curry prawns and rice at the at the <laughs> Chinese shops or. Chicken Maryland, or you know, Italian food in the in basic spaghetti bolognese was becoming very interesting. So we had uh, our Chinese. We had a couple of big nights out in Sydney celebrating the registration, and um, yeah, very memorable, very memorable. And most of you know a lot of the blokes, and I don't think there were females at that stage in my my session there. Now a lot of the blokes had passed, so it was celebration time, man. You know, it was it was a hard slog from seventy two through to seventy seven, mm. just yeah. applying. Firstly, getting through the university, and and you know it it then the registration, um, and you know looking back, and you know it, it you know it, 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 there was a lot of lot of energy that went into it. And you know now you know once you once you become a registered surveyor, and you know realise that. What you put into going to uni in the registration process was a privilege to be able to get you to work under the survey, the surveying act in that day. Now, mm. the, now the Surveying Spatial Information Act. Now we have an act of parliament in New South Wales that make, that gives us the privilege 
to deal with boundary surveying. Mm. You know, it's, it's not a, uh, it, it's, it, it's, you know, and what there were a thousand or twelve hundred registered surveyors in New South Wales or something like that. And it's our, it's our job to maintain the cadaster. You know, and the cadaster, the cadaster for a long time now has formed the basis of underpinning, you know, the financial system in New South Wales. Mm. And it, it is a privilege to do that, you know, to, to work in that system. And, you know, we are experts at what we do. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And, you know, the cadaster in a, in a state today uh, can be attributed to that long lines of registered surveyors going back to, you know, whenever it first started happening. And, it, you know, we, we need to, you know, in, 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 in the profession today, in the, in the registered part of it, we need to, you know, really focus on that privilege that we get to carry out our work that other surveyors, technical surveyors or hydrographic surveyors or geodetic surveyors cannot do. So it gives us a bit of a, you know, a, a niche to make a living and we need to respect that mm. uh, because maybe, maybe we'll get on to later my thoughts on just where we are with, where we are with that at the moment, you know, in our product the registered surveyor's product um, is probably worthy of talking about that later um, and, and, you know, because it does concern me greatly. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a proud registered surveyor and, you know, as, um, as it was put in, the, in the, the article in the surveying magazine, uh, by his own categorisation, one born from surety rather than conceit, and I love the way the journalist put that, Land teams, Greg Goodman is an Olympic level registered surveyor. And if there was a global game for the profession, there's little doubt he'd sell for anything less than gold. And I don't. Yeah. I don't. In, in, this, in the business of land team, you know, I don't settle for less than gold with our registered surveyors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and because uh, I, I really believe in that privilege that we've been given to, to work under the Surveyors Act. So, yeah. How do, yeah. How do you feel with. Um, you know, the people coming through now, there's a lot that's always spoken about with um, not having the mentoring that used to happen. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of people going for registration that there's not enough registered surveyors to actually be able to mentor these people to that level that, you know, you're talking about. Yeah. Well, look, I, Peter, I, I, you know, mentoring, mentoring, the, the the sad situation of mentoring generally of our candidates at the moment is is part of the part of the reason I believe that you know as a registered surveyor we're probably under a threat um, which we can bring up later but you know you, we just have to give the time to these to these young candidates to sit mm. down and like it's it's complicated stuff mm. you know and they they can't just it, it, they've got to be taught it. They they don't get it at uni. They get the you know the background and, and the, you know everything that we need at uni. But you know once you start working and getting your head around like I mean getting your head around a fix in the in the early days is you know and if it's if it's not a dual occupancy in a new subdivision or what have you. But you know it it, it is complicated and just getting an understanding for that um, is quite 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 a task. But so, you know, I had, I had really good mentors in Hans Kuhn and Bob Kabinga that worked at BHP. Um, they had plenty of time for me. I was able to ask them lots of questions mm. and have them sit down with them. 
But today, you know, back in uh, back in the, in the day there when I was the president of ISMSW along with John Minahan and some others, you know, just really getting the candidate workshop going, it, it became clear. Well, not so clear at that stage because things were pretty strong. But a few years later, into the early second decade, um, you know, candidates were turning up that really had no idea yeah. of where they were going or what. You know, some of their some of their early work was you know it, it was nowhere near the preparation that they required. And it turned out that in talking with a lot of them, that you know the, the problem was they weren't getting the mentoring. Hence, the candidate workshop. Uh, which works very still works very strongly today, mm. uh, where we have volunteer surveyors, you know, um, from all over the place that will give their time to sit down, you know, with a um, with a cadastral plan, an urban job or a rural job or a strata plan, and go through it and pick out the pieces that need improvement and explain why. Uh, and then that's the institution doing that. Over on the other side with ACS, you know, the town planning and the and the engineering workshops are working really well. Mm. So, yeah, it's just that, that mentoring. So, you know, we've got um, uh, a, a female graduate surveyor from the University of South Queensland, Megan Braddon, with us at the moment. Um, and her move to us was largely based around, you know, we're not getting the mentoring where she was. Yeah. Uh, we've got, we got another, another fella starting, a South African fella starting very shortly. that has been over here for a few years working in Queensland. Mm-hmm. Uh, being promised getting into cadastral work, they want to be. He wants to be registered, but just getting sucked up in the engineering. Yeah. So mentoring, mentoring is a big deal, and you know we're certainly here in Lantern. Um, you know we believe in the mentoring, and we've mm. got to give them something back to take something from them. And uh, the, the profession, the registered surveyor, is so busy at the moment. There is so much cadastral work out there. We haven't got the numbers. Um, mm-hmm. You know we've got. We've got a skill shortage. Uh, yeah. Immigration has been shut down virtually for the last 18 months. Um, you know, we just, it's, it's very difficult to get the people, especially in regional areas. You know, I mean, the money, the money for a registered surveyor has risen through the roof. There's really good salaries out there at the moment and packages. Um, but we just, you know, we've just got to get more, more into the numbers, I yeah. believe. And so that, so that creates lots of work. It means lots of pressure for the owners and managers of the businesses um, to get the to get the product out, and hence the, the time, um, the, you know, the time to be able to mentor and train not just registered surveyors but technical surveyors out of TAFE, um, you know, suffers. And you know, I, I think one of the, the the big sufferances today is you know in the mentorship is just. Um, you know, the technology, like, you know, I love the technology that I'm seeing. And we, mm-hmm. you know, Atlanta, we keep well and truly on top of it. Mm. But it creates, you know, it's creating a robot. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, a lot of the a lot of the technical stuff gets done in the office, prepared, uploaded in the total station. Today, your job is go out there on that section of the road and set out this drainage. And do that workers executed check down there, come back in and download it, comes back in and gets downloaded, goes back to the people in the office to sort out. Next day they just go out and do the same thing. So um, you know, we're starting starting to see the you know per, surveyors coming out of uni and tape want more than that. They they want to be able to understand and get get a wide range of work. Yeah. Um, I, so, I, yeah. I, 
Oh, I've seen it. Like I've I've noticed that that there's so many companies um, that really do pigeonhole their people into one type of work, and like you said, some of them are just constantly out in the field. They wouldn't know how to do the calculations. They know how to mm. upload, download, press the buttons. Um, I've had people sort of say, you know, they've asked their team or asked the guys what they're actually doing. They're going, oh, I don't know, I'm just setting those points out. Where'd they come from? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, it was just given to me. So they have no concept of the whole big picture of surveying as such. It's yeah. pretty sad. Well, I mean, I was lucky enough to to come out of TAFE and work with a few different companies and and end up, you know, in a very small firm, but learnt the whole from start to finish. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, pretty... and that's important. Mm. That's yeah. important. It makes, you know, it makes, it makes a, a better career. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know uh, it, gives, it gives the career of the, the, the surveyor, whether that's a technical surveyor or a registered surveyor, a lot more scope, a lot, you know, a lot more to learn. Mm. Um, and grow with, uh, but I think you know we're we're seeing you know like like we spoke before with the you know okay back in seventy seven everybody did the registration at once why not now because life's different a lot of the 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 women in the families work the, the wives work um, you know the bringing up of the bringing up of the kids is shared between husband and, and wife you know there's been a real like it, it's not that it's not that long ago Peter that the wife's position was in the house. Yeah. You know, like the 50s and into the 60s, the wife's position was in the house, doing the cooking, doing the washing, doing all those sorts of things. Mm. The bloke was out earning the money, making sure everything was right and that they, you know, they could live reasonably. But that's all changed now. You know, in, in what, 40, 50 years, the whole scope of that has changed. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's just, the, the, you know, changed for the better. Change for the worse, who knows? But um, it, you know, now we see the different models in surveying, um, you know, and a lot of the robot stuff is based with the high, high, uh, high. What, what the the um, what am I saying? The low margin, high work volumes. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that's an economic model. That if you do large amounts of work. And it can be at you know, margins less than you know a normal survey firm might charge. Then as you know, as long as that works, um, there's still a profit in it. But the profit perhaps comes at the expense of mentoring those who are becoming the robots. Mm. And you know whether that's going to be you know a sustainable model. Um, who knows? But it's certainly it's certainly one that's that seems to be working now in you know the, the big infrastructure spends in railway uh, and roads. Um, you know where you see a lot of the uh, the technical technical companies where um, you know the registered surveyor doesn't need to be involved are doing a lot of that work. So it's high volume, low margin, mm. and that's where I think a lot of the robot stuff is happening because they they can't they can't afford the time. You know, training costs money. It costs. Mentoring costs money, but it's yeah. an investment. You know, yeah. it's it's you know, it's an investment that you probably get much better returns now than having money in the bank, at, you know, one percent mm. or whatever. You know, yeah. a business has to invest in training and technology. So yeah, it's um, we'll see. Time will tell, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think it's sad because 
you know, knowing from where I came from, from the TAFE perspective and not going through the university and all that sort of stuff that I learned a great deal um, and then going back into the, the teaching side of it where I used to have surveyors say to me, why why are you teaching them this? Why are you teaching them that? They don't need to know this. They don't need to know that. I just need to know how to set up, how to use a robotic total station. And yeah. I kind of sit there and go, you're a registered surveyor telling me you want, to, want me to teach someone how to use a robotic total station so that you can get jobs done. So do you care about the profession and what we're trying to achieve and mm-hmm. have these people coming up through and, you know, doing TAFE, some of them, a lot of them end up going to university to become registered surveyors. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want yeah. us to teach the foundations. You just want us to teach how to use a robotic total station. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, it was a bit so, scary. Yeah, true. So, look, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying there. And, and you know, again, very fortunate in that, you know, I, I came along in the 70s. Uh, into surveying and I've come right through to now yeah so not only have I seen the technology you know like back in the first year we used seven figure log tables and curtis or or adding machines you know it was Mm -hmm. for the first half year first half year of 1972 we were very fortunate to see the end of that sort of calculation because the hp45 came in now the hp45 calculator didn't do anything else but add, subtract, multiply, and divide. But it did it with seven figures, seven decimals. Yeah. yeah. So all that stuff, all that stuff disappeared. And all you had to do was punch in these two seven-figure, two seven-figure decimal things, multiply, hit the multiply button, and you got the answer. Yeah. You know, and also, you know, the last of the, you know, or so several years of using a chain. And a T1A mm-hmm. or a T16 Teolite, yeah. yep. those sorts of things. And just seeing then the introduction of EDM, uh, you know, the tail stations, GPS, scanners, UAVs. Changed you know, a hell of a lot. <laughs> changed, yeah, it really has changed a hell of a lot. And and part of that, part of that change, and definitely to the better for the profession, has been the change in the attitude of registered surveyors to technical surveyors. Mm-hmm. You know, so back in back in back in the day, again, you know, it, technical surveyors were the bums. Yeah. You know, we need them flog and do this and that. But you know, today we can't, this profession cannot survive without technical surveyors being produced by tape. It, it, it just cannot. There's not mm-hmm. enough registered surveyors. Not everybody no. can be a registered surveyor. But we need TAFE students. We need them coming out and we need them, you know, we need them to be more than robots to, 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 to for our contribution to the cadaster and, and the profession, you know. It's, mm. um, this mentoring thing we've really got to get on top of. And the TAFE thing. We've got to, you know, we've got to have, the, we've got to have these politicians in New South Wales, across Australia, I guess, that deal with education realise that, you know, TAFE has a... TAFE has a lot to offer. Not everybody yeah. can go to university. Not no. everybody can afford it. Not everybody has the intelligence to do it. But we need people to fill those gaps. And certainly, 
Um, New South Wales TAFE and, and what they've put out over the years is, you know, a big contribution to the success of the profession. And I know the blacks the, and the girls that we've got here, you know, are dedicated surveyors. Um, yeah. And, you know, partly because, um, you know, they believed in their education from people like yourself mm -hmm. and, and others that, that I could mention, but also what they get back from those like you know, myself and Bob and Dave and Paul Davis Race and the rest of us that will give time to, to show them and uh, help them understand what's going on. So, yeah. 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 So, hmm. Well, I... Yeah, I think it's I think it's great that there are companies like your company who do take the time, you know, when I was down at Wollongong that took the time to actually um, show the students what a day in the life of a surveyor is like, take them out to job sites, show them through the office, go through different things and stuff like that. I mean, that's just a credit to to you and the other companies that that do that sort of stuff as well. Help support, yeah, so, help support well, the yeah, industry. That, that's part of the recompense, I guess, for the privilege that we, we have to practice. Mm. You know, we've got to do it. It's a no-brainer. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not a cost. It's an investment. Yeah. You know, and you know, maybe we'll get on to later a little bit about, you know, the understanding of business principles, you know, within the profession and the, yeah. those that start their own businesses. It's not a cost. It's an investment. Training and mentoring is an investment in your own business. And if you mm. don't do it, it is going to be a cost because you will not get people coming to your business, you know, to, to want to work. Um, and your business, your, your bottom line will suffer. So, you know, it's it, it's it's a no-brainer really. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. So, so you, like going through your career, when did you actually start your own business? Uh, so, look, it's probably worthwhile just spending a couple of minutes on it, Peter. Um, so, 1977, um, whilst, whilst the, you know, the goal was to get registered, uh, the goal also was to fly to Indonesia, go mm -hmm. up through Indonesia, up through Malaysia, up through Thailand, uh, up through Burma, over through India. Pakistan, across through <laughs> Afghanistan and, and Iran and get over to London and have a couple of years away, both myself and my wife. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time at BHP um, had been spent uh, working really hard um, when we had the chances to get away. Now, the Survey Department of Australian Iron Steel provided all the surveying services to BHP developments across Australia. So, okay. you know, you only had to stick your hand up and say when a job came up, you know, you know, I had six or seven weeks on, or six, yeah, six or seven weeks on Groot Island, up in the Surat Basin, Capella, all over the place. And in that, you know, so you could go away and you'd be working 10 or 12 hours a day, seven days a week on overtime and building up mm. quite a bank, plus seeing what was out there. It was a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, it was, I, I remember, look, I've got to tell you this, you know, you may say later what was what, what's been one of the high working highlights of life, survey life was, you know, coming out of uni and at, at Australian Iron and Steel, I don't know, there was probably 40 or 50 or 40 technicians and about 70, I think, in the in the surveying arena with draftsmen, only a couple of registered surveyors. So coming out of uni as a young graduate um, into that into that um, uh, environment. You know, community environment yeah. was quite a deal because mm. you know well you're a uni surveyor you don't know anything blah 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 and you know <laughs> just 
just the um, the the old you know Bob Cabinga now passed um, recently, sadly, or last couple of years ago. Who played for the Hawks um, basketball? Uh, was a great man. He was a great mentor of mine. And, you know, I, I owe so much to Bob Cabinga in those early days, along with Hans Kuhn, a registered surveyor, who's mm-hmm. also passed. Um, and yeah, you know, Bob taken me aside and said, "Look, when you go out with some of these crews, the boys are going to test you out. They're going to they're going to they're going to ask you to set the tripod up." you know, and put the cider on top of it. And, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, and, you know, in those days it was like, yeah, you're out of uni, you know, you weren't experienced with field work. And yes. it took some time to set up a set of legs, <laughs> not like it does now. So Bob would take me inside and said, here, do this. This is how you do it. Practice this. Take this thing home and practice it. So, you know, I'd taken it home and practiced I never knew why, except till, you know, I went, went out up to, up to the back of Mount Kendall there working on some grids up there or some leases or, I don't know, substance grids or something, and the boys that were going up with, in those days it was three in a field party mm-hmm. if you went up there just for safety, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, the couple I went up with said, here, we're going we're gonna to go, and, we're gonna go and do this or whatever, you set this set of legs up and then set the next set of legs up. So, you know, <laughs> and I'd known then in, in the backyard when I was frigging around trying to get it over a GI nail and got quite experienced at it, what, what they were talking about, because it took some time early yeah. if you weren't showed properly. Yeah. So, you know, they, they left and they said, when you finish, come along. So I was able to set those up in a couple of minutes and then came along. Oh, well, what are you doing here? Oh, I've got those set up. No, nah, no. Nah. So they came back and said, check, yeah, you have. What's going on here? I said, oh, I learned this at uni. We learned how to set these things up at uni. <laughs> so, so um, you know, that, that job, uh, it was a fantastic job. And, you know, for a lot of the blokes there um, that had been there a long time, you know, they were over in the Pilbara in the early days before GPS. Mm. Um, um, you know, no GPS and no, no EDM, of, you know, clip on EDM. You know, there was tell you wrong on the stuff. And just getting back to what I was talking about, I came out of uni and, you know, I, I mentioned my love of astronomy. So yep. we were going up, uh, took a, four, a long wheelbase four-wheel drive loaded with uh, tell you wrong CA-1000s, uh, all the lamps and everything, uh, T2s, the old lights, um, took them up to the Surat Basin uh, near St George and had, well, I don't know, maybe six weeks up there okay. setting up. We were, they were doing exploration for um, gas that's going on up there now, I guess, you know, gas and oil or whatever it was, shale oil. And, you know, the, it was fantastic six weeks. We were out on a camp, a living in tents in a bunk bed, had a camp cook, uh, had showers, working with labourers, the geophysicists, the, um, you know, it was just, just fantastic. It was a fantastic, fantastic to get out there and, and mm. do this. But our task was, you know, we had to bring in some sort of control because there was no control in that area. So, you know, the deal was, well, we've got to start somewhere. So how are we going to do that? So we had to tell you on the CA-1000s, which would measure, you know, 20, 30 Ks on, by radio waves. And right, yeah. Radios. Yeah. Um, fortunately, the topography out there had, you know, was had these little little hills or mountains that you could climb up and set up stations so you could mountain hop. But we had to get azimuth. So this, we there was a lap last station, LAPLACE, which was a high control, you know, really well controlled um, PM 
set up very strongly, you know, big, big stuff into the ground for non-movement. Mm -hmm. It was about, I think it was around 100 k's away. So the, and with the Laplace station, they generally have another PM or a couple of PMs about a kilometre away. So you can get a, get some sort of decent azimuth, but taking an azimuth of one kilometre for 100 kilometres, you know, it doesn't work. It's, it's <laughs> well, you'll get over there, but what, how accurate is it going to be? How yeah. precise is it going to be? So, yeah. So you know, I had this. I said, "Well, no problems. We're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna nip out there and do some Alpha Centauri observations." So you know, what, over a couple of nights, we went out there, got a case of grog, and you know, went out 100 k's, set up. Um, you know, the geophysicists and uh, the, the engineers have all heard about this, so they'd come out and have a look and see what was going on. Sure enough, to set up. So what we do in the afternoon was on a hill. The, the first hill was 20 k's away. So you'd set up a set up you know, a, um, a CR1000 or a lamp because this was for asthma. So you'd set up a lamp, a bright lamp over the mark, pointing back to where you were. Okay. Uh, and you know, cut cut the line through to, so yep. you could see to the Laplace station. So you'd get onto you get onto the one kilometer azimuth. So when the, when it came time, you get onto the one kilometer azimuth with another lamp. And then get up to Alpha Centauri, go through the whole rigmarole of you know quite a number of arcs reading Alpha Centauri, shooting to the lamp, um, you know, and then calculating it the next day. So mm. doing it again on another evening, different conditions with the VNG signal and all that sort of stuff, and we were able to come up with an estimate within within you know between the two nights, which was pretty close. So going from a one kilometer azimuth. To a twenty-kilometre azimuth, that got us going on, uh, you know, on where we had to get. So yeah, right. on the lap last station, we had latitude and longitude, so we had coordinates, AMG mm -hmm. coordinates. So no worries there because that was really well controlled, and now we had good azimuth, so we were able to hop with the CA one thousand telerometers and you know all the old ways of measuring vertical mm. and horizontal different times of the day across to where we had to get to, and then okay, well, we're going to go back. No, we'll do another set of uh, Latin long and Alpha Centauri observations 100 k's away and close it off. And it was like, you know, it was like, who is this bloke? <laughs> Me. <laughs> who is this bloke out of here? What did they teach you there? And, you know, it was unbelievably surprising results. Yeah. And then that set up the control for that whole area of BHP's activity coming from that last station. So it was just magic. It was, you know, it was so mm. fortunate to... Great to, experience. To be involved. Now, now you, you take the GPS up, you might set it up, you know, might even go to the Laplace station, set it up, do your OzPoz stuff over a few days while you're out doing other stuff, and, you know, and a week you're heading back down to back down to Port Kembla. Mm. So a lot of the glamour has <laughs> gone out of it. You know, a lot of the glamour that used to be in surveying and mm. Um, getting away and doing those sorts of things was, you know, it was just, it was fantastic, really. But in saying that, you know, I believe the technology is great. Like what GPS does and oh, you know, what, yeah. what the tool that it now provides to the rural surveyor is unbelievable. Yeah. Really yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's exciting. So, yeah. So did you make it to England? <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, so we, 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 we were away for uh, just over 18 months, I think. Uh -huh. um, no mobile phones, you know, like it's it's different times. No mobile phones, yeah. um, no, you know, to, it was 
a writing, you'd write a letter, you'd write a letter home, or you'd ask your friends or your mum and dad or your brothers and sisters to say, um, in the letter that you sent them, you would say, look, on the 26th of September, we're going to be in Rome, so send us a letter there post restante. Yeah. So part of the exciting thing to do, part of the exciting thing to do is to, to go down to Rome, get into the post office as soon as you could, go to the post restante and ask, is there any mail there for Greg Goodman from Australia or Kathy Goodman from Australia? Yeah, sure enough. So then you go and buy a bottle of wine and sit down somewhere in, in Rome and start reading the letters. And it was really mm. a great way of contact. You know, a little, a little um, you, you treat yourself every few months to uh, uh, return calls. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Let, you know, you know, we let mum and dad know that on such and such, we're going to be somewhere and we're going to get do a reverse charges call. So, you know, it was eight, eight months of very little contact with with home, mm. um, which in contrast to in contrast to now with these oh. Apple or Android devices, you know, <laughs> that's just how time has improved. Yeah, so um, went away and had a great time. And, you know, I, I, in the years since, like, spent a lot of time in Greece, probably, probably had about a year in Greece over my life down in Athens and around the Peloponnese and what have you. Mm -hmm. Got to talk you know, a little bit of Greek. I can understand it a little bit and I uh, love that country. And, um, yeah, so had a, yeah, did a lot, got a lot out of, you know, got a lot out of travel in, in the early yeah. days. And then when that was over, it was okay, it's time to come home and get to work. Mm. Yeah. So, so that did... involved, um, sorry? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, so that... Back home, uh, I got a you know, registered, not a lot of experience. You know, you know, definitely the the couple of years away um, put a gap in you know building on my on my registration. So once I got back, it took quite a bit of quite a bit to to get going again with the, mm. with all the cadastral stuff that I've been learning. So I had a couple of couple of years, um, a couple of, several months. In Lithgow with uh, Noel Cravens, out there, Craven Ellison Hayes, a, re a really big um, birding business in those days. And then a, a fellow called Colin Donjay, who was a registered surveyor planner at, at Dural, came up with a job. So we moved up there and lived in, he was out on some acreage at Dural, uh, lived in part of the office, uh, half of this little house that we had on the land that he, he lived elsewhere, but on the land that he owned, um, it was a house. Which was half office and half rentable. So we rented next door and used to just go through the door into the office at Dural. So um, we started, to have, Kath, Kath and I started having kids, wanted to get back down on the coast. So, you know, again, very fortunate at that timing that a job with the Maritime Services Board in Port Kembla came up. Yep. Um, so moved back down in 19, so away back down about 19, mid, mid 1982, I guess, down the port, down back home. Down here in Illawarra, I uh, got a job through Bill Moore, now deceased, but who was a great registered surveyor and mentor. Um, you know, spent a couple of years, three years, I think, as a hydrographic, as a port hub, as a port Kemmler port mm -hmm. hydrographic surveyor. Learned a lot, but you know what? What I've really got out of it, and you know, and as I said to Bill um, years ago before he passed, just the opportunity that he provided. He probably saw something like those teachers. Back yeah. in year twelve, yeah. so yeah. Uh, he identified something and said, "Greg, you you got you can go a lot further than just being a surveyor or a registered surveyor, which is nothing wrong with, of course." 
Hmm. Um, we're going to get you some. We're going to get you into the um, the business, a, a graduate diploma of business at the University of Wollongong. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, what's that all about? Well, we're going to. We see that there's opportunity for you in the future to come up through the ranks of the Maritime Services Board and and you know perhaps get into some management and take us ahead there. Okay. So yeah. I took that up. I mean, like in those days, I don't know whether they still do, you know, we got half a day off a week or a day, something like that to go and study. And, uh, you know, this, 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 this stuff just got me about strategic management and marketing and mm -hmm. organisational policy and, you know, accounting and God knows what else. So, um, so did that two years part-time and, and got a graduate diploma in business. So, and I'm thinking, well, you know, just having the work ethic that I do that's come from my grandfathers and uncles and my mum and dad and that sort of yeah. stuff, you know, really I, maybe I should apply that to, you know, rather than, you know, not greedily thinking but just, you know, opportunistic thinking, maybe I should apply that to see what I can do myself. And with okay. this business background, you know, it, everything made sense so so in 1985 i started my own business after mm -hmm. doing quite a lot of research about where and how and what have you and um got into got into my own business called ga goodman surveys and took off with um down here at Rurilla, uh, just down the road here now from where i am in a little shop um my dad again you know as my field hand <laughs> uh, who made himself So available. Yeah. Always there to help, support. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly true. Yeah. Um, you know, he was there always on beck and call, and it was hard work, but we got there, and slowly, slowly built up, slowly built up the business. Um, a few years later, got into partnership with uh, a bloke technical surveyor called John Mendham, who doesn't live far from here, uh, a great fella. Uh, and a very, very, very good engineering technical surveyor. Um, you know, we built, built he, he had a lot of contacts, I guess, in, with Cleary Brothers and others in the engineering survey. So we spent a lot of time doing that, which I love, the engineering survey. Um, you know, and in those days, again, no GPS, no tail stations. Um, you know, the first clip-ons had come in, geometer clip-ons and those oh, yeah. sorts of things. <laughs> Um, yeah, worked through that, and then the Christmas, then you know, started thinking again more about business. Okay, okay, surveying subject to the up and down fluctuations. How about we add some engineering, which mm. we did, add some engineering in the early 2000s. Well, what about a you know, a sewer and water coordination thing when Sydney Water started to open that up? So we added that, yeah. uh, some structural engineering, some town planning. Um, you know, and project management, and then you know, 19 through the through the 2007, 2000, started 2006, 2007. You know, just my love of the country was well, you know, we're we're urban based. You know, how good would it be to be able to get out and do some rural surveying? So, you know, like, and and with the help of a business coach, David Woolridge, that uh, we'd had in, in in the Goodman's firm for. A couple of years with his assistance and adding to our business knowledge, uh, we decided to merge with, you know, after due diligence and all that sort of stuff with Campbell and Anderson at Barrel and Kells at Goulburn, which, you know, um, over the years now, that's been 12 years, 5th of, 
5th of November 2008, they took off just as as uh, GFC was taking off. So mm-hmm. first few years were very tough, but, you know, it was a good decision in those days and the business is working out really well, especially, especially you know, the, the, the rural context where lots happening in Goulburn, lots happening in Barrel, lots happening in southern New South Wales that, that we've been able to get involved with. So I'm very proud of what we can create it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And looking back not that long ago, um, a post that was on Instagram about your staff that have been with you for what was it, twenty years or twenty yeah, plus so, years? I mean, that's that's an that's just a credit. Yeah, so the you know there's twenty five percent of the current staff of forty five that have been here for over twenty years. Twenty five yeah. have been over ten. Yeah. And, you know, a whole heap approaching that 10 and a whole heap approaching the 25. <laughs> but look, I, I just, I've just had down one thing. I, I want to, if I can just jump back. So back in 1985 when I kicked off the business with the, 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 um, the marketing um, background was, okay, and at that stage there was a change in how, how the professions could promote themselves. You know, uh, advertising was frowned upon. Yeah, you couldn't do it, could you? No, you couldn't do it. Yeah. But it was starting to lighten up. And, you know, 85 was starting to lighten up to stuff that you, I probably stressed the bounds, but what I did was, you know, you know, the, like now you see the signs around on street corners and stuff that, that are the neon signs that flick over and somebody might oh, yeah. be able to hire that, like, yes. you know, talking about a restaurant or down here. Or, mm-hmm. So at that stage, so there was a bloke that introduced the garbage bins, the street garbage, the garbage bins, the strategic garbage tins around town and on on intersections, and they were they were pebble, but they had four sides, and they were pebble quick. They looked pretty good, <laughs> yeah. but on four sides could be a sign. Yeah. So I knew the bloke doing it, and I picked out a couple of the you know the intersection of Taraji, the intersection of Warrawong, and intersection in Wollongong. So on four sides, I I, I developed this sign that had a question mark: Do you need a surveyor? contact Greg Goodman with a phone number and they went out and I was starting to get a fair bit of activity from a lot of comment from people I knew and then one day um, Frank Leary uh, from KF Williams uh, again uh, a a surveyor that I have a lot of time for you know built up a really good business great fellow Frank rang me and said uh, Greg I need to talk to you about being the garbage garbage can surveyor (laughs) I'm not sure the rest of the boys in Mullingon, they've made me, they've made me in the Illawarra, the rest of the blokes in Mullingon have got together and they've called me in and said, what do you think about the garbage can surveyor? And Frank said, yeah, I've heard it. I, I see it as marketing and, you know, it's probably good for the profession. But a lot, you know, he said a lot, Greg, a lot of them aren't too happy with it. Maybe, maybe if you could pull the sign off those strategic, in, those strategic intersections and put them elsewhere... Um, it might settle things down a lot more because it, there is a bit of volatility about you've stirred up a lot of you know, angst amongst these other other mm-hmm. surveyors in town. So I said, Frank, you're a wise man. I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll do that. So, you know, we... Um, and the good part about that was um, that at least the surveyors got together. You know, I, I remember I've heard it, you know, one of John Minahan's uh, comments to you was, you know, especially up there in Hunter Valley, you know, him and a lot of the other blokes get together and they have a talk. They they yeah. cooperate and collaborate with each other. Down here in Illawarra, that doesn't happen that much. In Sydney, it doesn't happen. And I don't think, mm-hmm. I, and like, you know, down in Goulburn, uh, you know, 
land team and Southern Cross surveyors will get together and you know regular intervals and have a talk about how things are going, what's practice and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But we need to collaborate a lot more, you know, as as a group, as people. Not so forget the competition. What what forget the pricing, forget prices. You know how how can we how can we foster our own profession you know through talking and collaborating and doing what have you and john and the, the hunter manning group have done really well with that so you know mm -hmm. and it, 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 it feeds out i guess into our profession in new south wales um you know we've got the institution of surveyors australia we've got acs the association of consulting surveyors we've got the main road surveyors we've got apas you know we've got the government surveyors God mighty, we've got triple SI, you know, all <laughs> doing a bit with surveyors. You know, we 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 you know, I often say we're our own worst problem. You know, we we should collaborate a lot more and um yeah. you know um just get together and look after ourselves. So can I take that a bit further? Yeah, uh, this line of conversation. Sure. So so it comes back to, you know, one of the one of the the big non well the big one of the biggest threats that we've that, we, that we've had to our profession is that we don't have a national organization you know we mm -hmm. don't have an, a, an organization in australia that's pulling all these surveyors together you know whether they be university registered surveyors or technical surveyors or or what or what have you um you know we're all under different flags yeah. And, you know, we really need it. Now, the Institution of Surveyors Australia, you know, was around for a long time and worked really well. Um, and, you know, um, it had a long history and seemed to seemed to do all right over a long period of time. But when, when I came into the Institution of Surveyors New South Wales and started to put some time back into the profession there, uh, you know, early, early 2000s, um, the, you know, the, the institution of surveyors was starting to, you know, starting to fail. I guess the triple the the the, the, spa, the spatial science institute, the SSI, had set up, and it came out of a lot of lot of blokes that had been, um, and they were, you know, a lot of male surveyors that had been in ISA and weren't happy with how how things were at the at the at that level, and you know, coming through, spending some time with ISA with institution of surveyors in New South Wales, and my ambition was to be the president. Mm -hmm. um, so um, and put you know really put back something into the profession, uh, as well as grow as a as a person as a professional. Um, you know I started to get involved and you know I went to Cairns and um, um, early before before my presidency. And what happened was you'd have uh, elected members. So New South Wales had a lot of members down. You know a lot of. Um, uh, Members of Institution of Surveyors Australia of New South Wales, and you're able to have three or four candidates that went along to the institution, Institution of Surveyors, the ISA, yeah, Institution of Surveyors Australia. You know, Northern Territory had less, so they might have one, and some of, and so it made up this pool of people that worked well forever. But at the time I got invited to come up and have a look in Cairns, it was a dogfight. Those committee meetings were a dogfight. So much so that we had a bloke over, Professor John Hammer who was the president at that stage, I think, of the Institution of Surveyors New Zealand came over and as an observer. And at the end of the day, he said, boy, you blacks have got, you've got to get your act together. This place is falling apart. And it mm. did fall apart. Mm. Um, 
you know, so it 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 really was uh, the turning point for us, you know, for surveyors in Australia not having national register, not not having a national profile, where mm -hmm. ISA had filled that for so long, um, and still today we don't have um, you know uh, an organisation that represents Australia on a on a national basis. You know, we have CSN that um, CSN. Uh, which is starting to fill some space there, and the SSSI might say that they're filling that role, but the SSSI, and, you know, so when I, when I became president in 2007, 2008, I think it was, um, you know, I was really, it was really concerned that this stuff was going on with ISA, and it fell apart. It really did fell apart, and I blame, I blame you know, some of, the, some of the participants from New South Wales um, with causing that, that, that thought that, um, you know, the institution and the surveying in New South Wales and Australia was their own. Um, and it wasn't about the good of the profession, it was about what they created and they, they owned it, they thought. Mm -hmm. um, and it made it, you know, very difficult at times to, to get along with stuff that, that happened, you know, at that time, um, if you were becoming the president of the Institute of Surveyors New South Wales, the idea was to meet uh, on the Friday before the once a month, uh, discuss with the cabal um, of, of that had existed there for a long time, how the meeting was going to unfold, what we're going to vote for, all those sorts of things. So, you know, I was being, I guess I was being corralled into that cabal and I didn't conform because, you know, I was going to try and do something different. So, you know, we went across to Christchurch with Grant Baker and uh, a few others and, you know, things started to change over there and, and the talk of the Triple SI came up. Now, um, you know, so my reputation in a lot of places, I guess, is tarnished because they, you know, they say I'm a spatial. Well, I am a spatial, but I'm a surveyor as well, but I understand the relationship intimately between spatial and surveying. Mm. Um, and so the way the way I saw it was that you know along with uh, you know John Minahan giving some backup and um, um, last a, a big strong push from Jonathan Saxon at the time and others that you know okay well over here on this other side we've got this thing coming out of the SSI the Spatial Sciences Institute called the Surveying Spatial Sciences Institute so I put a lot of energy into that while I was the president. Um, along with Johnson Saxon and others, um, you know, blokes like um, um, the round at the time, Stuart McAvoy, Scotty Murray, uh, Grant Baker, you know, Michael Lamont from ACS, um, yeah. Michael Spiteri, and of course, John. Um, and we saw that as a way, I guess, of getting, you know, a national institution, a national representation for surveyors in Australia that we, could, that we then have a voice internationally. Back to, back to how ISA was, but um, sadly, you know, I guess the triple SI has worked for, you know, GIS and engineering surveying in other states and, you know, remote sensing and those things. But again, it never picked up with surveying because it wasn't picked up in New South Wales, ISNSW, fully. Uh, it wasn't picked up by ISVIC uh, fully and mm -hmm. some of the other states, you know. So again, surveying fell apart. Um, and yeah, we had the numbers. Like the the, the numbers in the triple SI would have been bolstered. You know, the surveyors. You know, really, if I could say it, had control of the organisation. You know, there was enough of us to be able to determine its future and get involved. And 
along with the spatials and make it work. But, you know, really, uh, I don't think it has worked from a, from a survey sense. Mm. So, um, you know, maybe maybe over the, the next decade, this decade, we can see something emerge that, that um, allows surveyors, technical and professional, to be represented, you know, on the global sphere by an organisation that, that encompasses it all in, a, in Australia. And I think that's important. You know, as a small group, we need that. We need that voice. We really yeah. need that voice. Yeah. yeah. Especially with um, when you're talking about you're representing overseas and stuff, we it's it's happening more and more because we're so more connected with technology and stuff, and people not being able to actually travel or do anything these days, there is actually more contact with people across the world within yeah, the industries yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, mm. we're seeing that through LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, just the connections that the connections that you have, and you know, say, um, and others have, and and John Minhan's a typical here. He won a he won a um, uh, or he was awarded a Surveyor General's scholarship there a couple of years back, a few years mm. back, yes. where he was going to go. He wanted to see in other countries what they were doing for mentoring and candidate workshops and stuff like that. Mm. So John built up, you know, he just got on that and bite 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 He's got about 5,000 followers there. So then, you know, two weeks ago, he sticks up a picture of an old, you know, a photo of an old T1A with a clip on EDM on the top and he gets 30,000 views across the world. So And comments, hundreds of comments and hundreds of likes, which just, that just shows you the, the coverage that we can get on that, those social media platforms like LinkedIn and how, you know, how Australian surveyors have thought about and what we can contribute to the rest of the world. Yeah. You because know, we're out there. We're out there with the technology and, you know, we, we have special, you know, Australia's a big country and, you know, we all those, all the application of that technology can be applied across our nation, you know. So, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a shame and hopefully we get there by, you know, hopefully... Some of these others coming through can say, well, okay, let's get our act together as surveyors, get all on the one page, stop fighting about being technical or professional, registered or non-registered, and just <laughs> we're all surveyors and let's get together and make it happen. Mm. Yeah, It'd so, be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. Oh, yeah, I wonder if we will see that in our day. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. Mm. Hope so, but we need some of these um, some of these younger emerging people coming through to really pick it up and run with it. So, and that's you know going back to business again. You know, business owners uh, have got to have got to provide the time for you know the younger surveyors coming through to get involved in stuff like the institution or ACS. You know, because I mean, I you know I was probably there for I don't know 10, 12, 14 years mm-hmm. as president, secretary, and a whole range of things and. Yeah. You know, just just the 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 improvement that it, that it allows you to grow, like you know, public speaking and getting up and mm-hmm. writing and developing opinions and the confidence to, you know, the confidence to stand up and say what you think. Or, and you know, it's fantastic. It, it really is a fulfilling time. I think John went into that, and Paul Rollinson went into similar sort of comments that it, it's very valuable to your own professional development as well as the profession and those younger ones coming through. So, mm. yeah, it's, you know, we, the business owners have just got to realise that in support, again, the, 
the um, the investment in their business is to allow the younger ones to get involved. So. Yeah. And on that note, we'll leave it there for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the chat so far with Greg. Come back next week to listen to part two.